Hey, I want to get started by asking you a little bit, Rohan, about um, how you kind of got started with everything, with all things 49ers. You are definitely one of the famous content creators. Um, thanks for being on. But give some of our our viewers and listeners um, maybe a, the, the two-minute spiel of how you got started, why you became so passionate about the 49ers. And I know Johnny and I have about 87 questions we want to ask you about OTAs and everything, as does the chat. So let's get into it. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about myself. I am Bay Area born and raised and been here throughout my life. Obviously a little younger than some of the other content creators that you might see out here. But about two-ish years ago, um, in the right before the 2021 draft is really where I got started writing. Uh, looked out for a lot of opportunities, reached out to a lot of different uh, companies and different uh, platforms out there. And I was grateful enough that my boss, David, at 49ers web zone was able to offer me a just a just a place to put my writing out and at first i mean here's how i was thinking i have a lot of 49ers thoughts don't really know what to do with it and i mean if i'm gonna spend my time thinking about the team might as well put it to use so started up a youtube channel shortly after that started writing talked about the draft covered the draft that year because i'd done my own draft analysis on my own before and so from there i slowly grew into a bigger uh contributor on my site uh, led to a bigger role and things like that. And now, um, you know, I'm trying to do as much coverage as I can for the 49ers. That's how that went. And then obviously was there a training camp. That's really when my YouTube channel and my Twitter following kind of grew a little bit more last year. And I mean, I love to engage with fans. I know a lot of people might not uh, necessarily like that portion of it. Just try and do their jobs as a journalist. I'm a journalist, but I also love to engage with fans, get their perspectives, integrate them with my own and also share mine because that's really the, 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 the best part about this business. And so, so that's a little bit about me. Just uh, grateful for the opportunities that I've received and also for uh, guys like Johnny Dell who have obviously extended their platform and been able to collaborate with guests like them as well. You know, and uh, I've I've worked a little bit with David Benia in the in the past as well. A really good guy to work with. Um, the, he he really uh, does a lot to support the writers at uh, 49erswebzone.com, which I know is where you you've done a lot of your writing. Um, he's he was always you know I did I did a few writings there a few years ago, um, and he was always very supportive of that. And uh, you know, so I want to give a shout out there as well. Um, and then that's that's great that you know you were able to have that avenue to really go but you took advantage of the avenue um some people have opportunities there and can squander them i obviously did not take take advantage of my opportunities down that route i was uh it was i was i struggled finding like topics to write about all the time um i i have to have that stimulation from somebody else i remember i wrote one article that got flamed by people uh it was in 2019 i wrote an article that george kittle was the tight end that we thought vernon davis would be and uh and that that got some serious blowback because it was happening right. Yeah, I did it right before we were going to play uh, Washington that year, and uh, Vernon Davis was was uh, playing for for Washington that season. But yeah, uh, but you man, you've been killing it on Twitter and uh, and with all the writing and and just good coverage of the team. So keep doing what you're doing, man. It's awesome. Appreciate the support, man. Yeah, we love it. So I want to ask a question first. I know Johnny has a few in chat. Make sure. If you have questions um, for for Rohan and Johnny, go go ahead and ask them. I'll try and navigate those. My first question, Rohan, is um, 
as you are watching OTAs and and the the way that we 49er fans have to deal with OTAs is we have to nitpick because we talked yeah. before the show there's 40 days here where we have to nitpick because there's nothing else to do so not nitpicking let's say is there something that truly has jumped out to you that is not nitpicking like oh this guy really planted his foot really well on that cut there not that but real real stuff that you're like okay this is worth actually talking about what's the first thing that jumps out about otas couple of things for me um one the way that i approach otas and minicamp specifically is I don't really look as much as what's the production on the field and things like that. Obviously, you want to keep your eye out for the risers. But the intriguing part for me is how are they talking? What's the difference in demeanor year to year? And how like how do they uh, uh, keep themselves composed in these press conferences? Because that's really the, the, the main access that everybody can see, be it Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, and things like that. And so the first interview that really popped my eye, Brandon Ayuk, him – it seems like his confidence is at an all-time high, and that's good for him because he's essentially in a contract year, understanding that at the end of this year, he, he's going to receive a pretty hefty extension. And not only is it that you hear about Ayuk, but you hear his own teammates. Debo saying you can't even guard him in a phone booth. Uh, Diamond Lenore coming out and saying he's going to be a top-five receiver, indicating maybe near all-pro this year after the thousand yard season last year. And so different things like that, the, the buildup with Brandon Ayuk, him – uh, you know, obviously refining his craft, looking to strive for greatness. And the way that he talked, you could tell his confidence is at an all-time high. And, you know, you normally get this kick out of people when they're in that contract year. It seems like it's uh, it's happening to Brandon Ayuk. And it's at the time where the 49ers want it best because this might be the most crucial year for their championship run, understanding that salary cap implications might come down the line for some of the core players in the future. Great to hear from that. And yeah, before I say my other take, what do you got about that, John D? Uh, no, I th I think that's that's the best news for the 49ers going forward. Is uh, I've I've talked for a while that um, I, I felt like one of the biggest things that needs to happen for the 49ers to take that next step as an offense. People will talk about is quarterback's got to do this or quarterback's got to do that. And I've said we really need Brandon Ayuk to ascend to be one of those top tier wide receivers. He's a first round pick. And I never meant that in a disparaging way. It was always, I believe he can get there. I was just always feeling like I wanted to see just a little bit more. And down the stretch of the season last year, those last four or five games, I felt like he really was starting to to grasp that that role that I am going to be the guy for receiver on this team. You know, Debo is the Swiss Army knife. Uh, Christian McCaffrey was the Swiss Army knife. They're they're guys that can create big matchup problems for the defense um and are are deadly with the ball in their hands, but when it came down to one-on-one -on -one versus the other team's best corner, they're in in man coverage, bump and run, press coverage, whatever way it's going to be that you can rely on Brandon Ayuk is going to win his matchup, that he is going to be that guy that sells the other team. You cannot play one-on-one -on -one man coverage against this guy because he's going to win. And that's what we started to see with Brandon Ayuk and what was so frustrating with 
Brock Purdy's injury in the NFC Championship game because it felt like that was finally starting to come to fruition. And I've been talking about this early on in the season last year, and people were acting like I was trying to defend Jimmy Garoppolo or something. And, and I'd say it doesn't matter if it's Trey or Jimmy or Brock. You know, whoever's under center, I want to see just a little bit more from Brandon Ayuk. And I think the talk coming out from players is echoing that same thing, that that's what you're starting to see out of him. You know, uh, if we go back to last season and people want to say, well, that wasn't fair to, to say to Brandon. Okay, say, well, why are they saying it this year? Because there was obviously wasn't a finished product. The potential's always been there. You want to see him fulfill that potential. And it's looking like he's ascending into that position, that true X receiver that you really need to have a top passing attack. And I always felt like it was just a little bit under, you know, and, and even going back to uh, a couple years ago, 2021, when he was supposedly in the doghouse and, and everything. And, and people, there was a lot of chatter going around. And one of the videos that got more views than anything I ever had on my channel was I was just talking about his route running, that he was tipping his routes. It, he was, he was not running them all the same. He would run run one route one way another route another way and and i was watching dbs jump on his routes all day long um that was and and that became a serious problem as it was going and it started getting better as the season went on and then uh you know then last year was was the year he he i felt like he was taking more and more steps throughout the year and he was being such a good blocker being that true guy who cannot be covered one-on-one -on -one in man coverage is going to be the thing that that suddenly Okay, you're you're the opposing team. If you have to double Brandon Ayuk, you are done against this offense. That's just Correct. that's just it. Okay, and so that's why I say that that is such an important role because if you have to double Brandon Ayuk, you are toast on defense, and and that opens so much more for the offense. And it doesn't matter who's playing quarterback and if they can throw the ball sixty yards down the field, they are done as a defense if you have to double Brandon Ayuk. So. You know, that's that's to, like I agree that that's some of the most encouraging news and means the most for the team going forward. 100%. You had a second take. 100%. You had a second take, Rohan. What was the other one? So I talked about the two ways that I, I that I view right this OTAs in minicamp portion. One, the demeanor in which the players are going about uh, their business, and we uh, Brandon and I was a prime example of that. Two. Every year there are these younger players that you slowly start to get a feel of a little bit um, in terms of you hear little inklings, a, a little bit of a report that they might be a little above um, what their expectations were. And there are two players that are jumping out to me that I'm looking forward to validifying when I go out to camp this year. That's Jair Brown immediately, who, when Brandon Ayuk spoke, talked that he had about five interceptions, including a dropped one. In that first portion of OTAs, this was not even including minicamp, showcasing that San Francisco 49ers are getting what they wanted out of Jair Brown, production out of that safety position, especially in terms of a ball hawk, which is what they were looking for when they first initially drafted Talanoa Ufunga and reaped the rewards of last, last, last season when they kind of transformed their defense players-wise to fit more of a mold of creating turnovers, which made a dramatic change with that defensive approach. Jair Brown's one, the second player, a guy who we heard inklings of last offseason, a guy who I was really high on uh, as an undrafted free agent but continues to make waves, Jordan Mason. He's a guy who seems right now that he's improving his pass-catching abilities, something I saw glimpses of last year, and if he does, guess what? The 49ers, what they want out of their backup backs is somebody that can replicate, not replicate, but 
be in the same packages that Christian McCaffrey's in. So they don't have to change their offense when a different running back's on the field. If Mason has the full package, can catch passes out of the backfield, can show some signs of blocking while also being a dynamic runner, it opens up the playbook for the 49ers when he's on the field. And it makes that uh, that offense even more dangerous than when he's just running and bulldozing and get five and a half, five and a half yards per carry. Those are the two players that I think right now are kind of on my mind heading into camp. Yeah. And, and, you know, Jordan Mason was a guy that a lot of people last year were wondering, you know, why isn't he getting the ball more? Why isn't he seeing the field more? And I would always say, well, one of the problems that he's facing is he's got Christian McCaffrey in front of him, who is a guy that when he's on the field, it's not about, you have to worry what he's going to do in the run game. You have to worry, worry what he's going to do on the field, doing everything. He was blocking. He was, he was a, as good a receiver as we have anywhere else. And he can run the ball as well as anybody else. So it's not that Jordan Mason was necessarily deficient as a runner. Um, it's that when you put him on the put him on the field, you are not suddenly threatening the defense in so many different ways as you do with Christian McCaffrey. So it's really hard to bring him off the field. And what you're seeing now is that it's like he's taking on that role and saying, "I have to become more well-rounded to be able to, not, you know, give Kyle Shanahan the same kind of tool bag that he has with Christian McCaffrey on the field." And that's what's exciting is that is that this this multi-role offense is breeding multi-role players and it's, it's creating a very dynamic and deep room in that running back room. I mean, when you start looking at, at the depth that we have in the running back room, I think it may be deeper than it's really ever been since Kyle Shanahan has been here. And that's a scary thing to think about of, of with, with how much he loves to run the ball. Uh, another thing that I really like hearing about with Jair Brown, you know, is, is the ball production. And that's something that we, you noticed immediately when you looked at him coming out of college was the production of interceptions. What it was 10 in two years. Um, the guy was a, an interception machine. And when you look at Kyle Shanahan's several first years here, that was something that was severely lacking from our safeties. And people will talk about the NFC championship game and the collapse and, and say, you know, let's put this on Jimmy Garoppolo. But if you look at last year, 2022, um, there was one player who didn't come back from that team. And that was the guy who dropped an interception. And then you see, you know, Hafunga is there and he's not dropping interceptions. And now they're drafting Jair Brown, who's not dropping interceptions. Well, he dropped the one, uh, but he's, you know, he's coming away with, he's got the ball skills. When you look at, at, at Daryl Luter, he's got ball skills. You know, they're obviously valuing ball skills from these guys. And that's really exciting with Jair Brown. Now uh, I'll be honest. I, he was my number two pick at safety. Um, and number one, I was devastated when the Eagles of all teams Sydney picked, Brown. Yeah. picked Sydney Brown, uh, you know, I was, I was tweeting with a, a guy who used to be on Andy Reed's staff uh, that he was breaking down Sydney Brown. And I was like, dude, that's who I wanted on the team. And he just tweeted me back. He said it, well, there was no reason for two Hafungas. I was like, that's what I was saying the whole off season, that he was a clone of a funga, um, you know, and they, that any team, any other team could have swooped him up. And I would have been like, relatively okay with the fact that it was the eagles yeah but but you also see that jair brown the the 
many people were were kind of languishing. Oh, you traded up for a safety. I was like, it's the third round. Okay, he was the second safety off the board in the third round. You can't be that upset for trading up for a safety. And plus, really, when I looked at the draft, I saw two safeties I really liked, and that was Sidney Brown and Jair Brown. It was the two Browns, and I felt like those were the two guys that you were looking at the potential for top quality starters. Those were the two guys in this draft, and as long as they grabbed one of the two, I would be pretty okay with it. Now I wanted Sidney Brown more, but but seeing you know Jair Brown already making noise is pretty pretty exciting and and uh, it does does bring into question are we going to see some three safety packages maybe um, or is he going to be pushing past Tayshon Gibson who decided to come back to play because he wanted to be a starter and well that might not work out um, you know so that that brings us something interesting but uh, you know love the 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 noise that we're hearing on that side of it coming out of, out of OTAs and camp yeah yeah one hundred percent. I have a few I mean, questions. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead, Rohan. No, I was just going to add real quick. When you talk about Jair Brown as well, right, like the the portion that you brought up about the, the three safety sets, I want to real quick ask you a question before we move on. Last offseason and the offseason before, I'm a fan of the three safety sets, especially with the set the safeties we had before. Why? Because Jimmy Ward had that big nickel versatility. Additionally, you have Talano Hufanga, who has box versatility, and so you have a wide variety of roles. This offseason, I'm very curious, how do they play the safeties if they have three? Because Deshaun Gibson might be a big nickel, and he had snaps a big nickel last year, but he's not on Jimmy Ward's level, and so are they comfortable taking off their nickel corners on third downs or whenever it may be to put Tayshawn Gibson in the big nickel or when do those packages arise or are you going to see more so in those sub packages maybe not put a third linebacker on the field and Talano Hufanga uh, and have the three safeties there because Jair Brown's best ability is definitely in the passing game that's the way I view it I'm not saying he's a bad run defender he he comes in and he can hit he can he can he can be a thumper for sure but his best ability is in the passing game I wonder where do you put them on the field with those three safety sets with the certain package that we have currently. What I would love to see if you if you're going to go three safety packages is, is going to be game plan specific. So you're going against a team that is not real uh, big on base pa- base personnel packages. So you know they're not going to have a lot of 21 personnel. They're not going to have a lot of 12 personnel. They're very much a three wide receiver team. But bring them bring that in on rundowns. So your first and ten, your second and medium uh, downs where the team the opposing team is looking to spread you out possibly and then run on you and you know so you bring in a bring in you have gibson and brown as your deep safeties and you bring hafunga in within the box and you have him in that almost third linebacker role and allow that that i think that gives you still a lot of good flexibility and coverage but also a lot of strength in this in the run support game and get your best 11 on the field um for me i'm i i don't know if that our best 11 a in a rundown situation is not going to be a three safety package. If Flanagan Fowles is, is our third linebacker, I'm going to say I'd rather go three safeties against anything but a, a base. You know, we need to take on linemen sort of situation. If it's, if it's going to be the other opposing team is even in a two tight end set. I personally, I'd probably feel more comfortable in a, in a three safety uh, personnel package than Flanagan Fowles on the field, just because I think he's such a liability is from a tackling perspective. I, I just have not seen a lot of, 
quality tackling from him. Um, now, if it's Oren Burks, that, that might be a little bit different. Um, you know, I, I, that'll be an interesting thing to watch through training camp. And I think that's going to give some, give Wilkes something to really think hard about over the next 40 days of, you know, do we start looking ahead at this schedule, who the identities of, of our teams are going to be, and do we start trying to install some wrinkles like this to be able to throw in? It also brings up the, an interesting uh, possibility for some of the blitzes he likes to run. Um, you know, he loves to play a lot of fire zone blitzes. So now if you're bringing the element of speed uh, from your blitzing positions and versatility into zones, uh, I think safeties fit that mold very well. And so that that's another interesting uh, caveat is do we see these coming in with a lot of different interesting pressure packages? Um, it just is it's, it's very interesting to me, and, and it'll be fun to watch what Wilkes does with all of these tools. Yeah, excited to see new defensive coordinator Wilkes after seeing uh, some film from what the Panthers do and just definitely excited. I want to get into more a little bit about OTAs, but want to remind everyone that if you are tuning in later, not live, ask yourself why. It may be because you did not hit the notification bell on YouTube. So make sure that you are subscribed and that you hit the notification bell so that you know when we are going live on YouTube. You can always also like and subscribe, leave a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your podcasts as well. Today, we are excited to be talking with Rohan Chakravarthy. And Rohan, I wanted to ask you um, a couple more things about um, OTAs. And I, I know we're going to get into the quarterback position a little bit, but before we do, what other storyline do you think is going to stick out as we move forward? We mentioned Steve Wilkes and we mentioned, you know, this defense is not a baby defense. They have already been through it. They have already, they are battle tested. They have shown that, that they are a, a legit force, right? So is it something where, Hey, we're looking to make sure that he doesn't um, disrupt too much or some of his schemes uh, that he doesn't change up too much or bet. MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly. When you place your first wager at bet MGM, simply download the bet MGM app and sign up using code champion 150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Is it, hey, we're locked and loaded, he's he's on board and we're good? Or do you think, and you know, again, we're under the mi- microscope here. Does that become something or what do you see from Wilkes so far in the defense? Yeah, I mean, overall, Wilkes, right? A guy who has a defensive back background. We've seen him work with the young guys. We've seen him work with Ufango. We've seen him work with Jair Brown and some of the cornerbacks as well. And so, I mean, I, I think that there are going to be a couple of intriguing things when it comes to Steve Wilkes. A lot of people, a lot of people have been very, very high on the Wilkes, uh, uh, the Wilkes hiring. And I'm not saying that I wasn't. I like the Wilkes hiring because it brought a guy of experience and it brought a leader to the room. He's been a head coach before, experience and leadership to the room. But here's what I'll say, and I'm, I'm curious what you got to uh, what you got to respond with, Johnny Dell, on Steve Wilkes. I think the two things I'm going to look at the most. One, Steve Wilkes, he loves to blitz, like Johnny, uh, like Johnny just said. He loves to blitz, and he's absolutely going to blitz more, in my opinion, if he's able to implement some of uh, his likelings in the defense. I don't know if I like this 49ers team blitzing more, understanding the firepower they have in that front. Well, it's a front four, but really with that three-headed monster, I don't know if I like the 49ers being as aggressive as they are, understanding how well the defense played last year. There's a difference between blitzing a lot and the well-timed blitzes that D'Amico Ryan's dialed up last year that really uh, was great game planning and just caused a wreck in opponent offenses. I wonder how big of a change that makes uh, that Wilkes makes from last year to this year in terms of the blitzing, and does it negatively negatively impact the 49ers secondary? Because I thought the 49ers secondary worked really well last year, but it also is, of course, due to a solid defensive line and really good play calling uh, uh, in in regards to blitzes on certain downs. And so that's one thing that I uh, that I point out with Wilkes. And the second thing is. He is sitting up in the booth, and I don't, I don't think many people uh, think that that's going to be a big deal. But the 49ers and that defense have been accustomed to the energy that they've seen from defensive coordinators on the sideline. I think that that's an added element, and Wilkes will be up in the booth, obviously, with the more methodical kind of approach in that regard. I do wonder, does that have any uh, any sway on the early season portion of the game? So. Uh, yeah, love a lot of the response. I, I missed a little bit of the beginning. I had somebody walk into my office. Uh, they did not realize I was on a live podcast. It's live, live content, people. That's just part of the game sometimes. I uh, was not expecting to see somebody come around the corner. I heard him. You may have heard him on the microphone going, hello. Uh, I was not <laughs> expecting that. Um, but here we are. So I'll catch up with, with a little bit that, that I missed about Wilkes. Uh, some differences I think we're going to see from Wilkes. One, the overall coverage structure is going to be very, very similar. And I think that was one uh, thing that very much led to and, and was attractive about him as a candidate to fill the roles after D'Amico Ryan's left because you had the same sort of coverage rules and and structure from Sala to D'Amico Ryan's. And the one thing that they didn't want to do was try and kind of reinvent the whole, reinvent the wheel um, or change horses in the middle of the street uh, as tower of power said um, good Bay area band. If nobody else knows anyways, <laughs> g- give me a number one in a tower of power in the chat. If you know who tower of power is they're 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 the Oakland stroke. Um, but anyways um, that you don't want to end up 
you know, changing up a lot of that. You know, where the differences are is that he doesn't play zone as much as D'Amico Ryans. Now, D'Amico Ryans, you could say that about any other defensive coordinator in the league. Uh, D'Amico Ryans played zone more than any other defensive coordinator that we had. Now, some of that was because we just weren't as good playing man. Um, I, I think that was an area that we struggled with a little bit, sometimes from the nickel spot, whether that be Jimmy Ward, especially early in the year, he struggled to win man coverage a few times. Um, you know, and that's also him trying to go back and play a position that he really hadn't played in several years. Um, or being when we had a plethora of injuries and you have guys on the outside that aren't necessarily holding up in man coverage as well. I think when you see the the draft of Daryl Luter, that's a big indicator of where this defense wants to go and and the and the the signing of Isaiah Oliver. Uh Daryl Luter is a is a prototypical man coverage corner. Okay. He was he's he's got that length for for disrupting guys. Uh, when I saw him at the senior bowl, that was the thing that stood out the most is his ability to cover one-on-ones uh, in the drills. Now, when it came to some of the coverage matching ideas in zone, he wasn't as good at those. Those are obviously some concepts he wasn't as familiar with and, and wasn't used to identifying. You could see him struggling a little bit with that. And the coach is kind of working with him on it a little bit more. Um, so that's something he'll have to learn at the NFL level. I believe he's going to be a red shirt year guy. Um, you know, where he starts to fit later down the road. I'm not 100% certain, but I think that's a, a, a pick that very much speaks to where Wilkes wants to go. Uh, when you see, when I watched Carolina's film, I see that a lot of times zone coverage was very similar to what we do. A lot of early downs were very similar to what we do. There was more man coverage played on those like second and, and mediums, third and mediums. Um, and then the, the pressure packages were different, you know, Sala and Ryan's brought in a lot of these uh, packages and I've, I've covered them in a lot of my review videos where they'd bring guys up on the line and they would force um, they would show things that would force the, the offense to have a predictable uh, um, protection call. Okay. Uh, so you'd have, we're going to line up in a certain way where the center has to take this guy. The running back has to take this guy. Uh, the guard's going to have to take this guy that, that they have, a very predictable blocking pattern so that it, it could give predictable one-on-ones and it could give predictable ways for the defense to be able to run their stunts. So, you know, when you'd have like a who is there, he knows that that guard's got to take him and the center's got to take somebody else. So if he can go and grab the guard and get into the center, then he knows he's freed up the guy who's going to be looping around. It'd be that kind of stuff. So it was, it was very much the defense knew exactly who was going to be blocking, had the blocking assignment on them. And it, it forced the offense's hand from a protection standpoint where Wilkes is a little bit different is you see a lot more. Um, we're going to bring up some guys and have other guys back and we'll swap out, you know, some guys who are up, are going to drop and you're going to bring somebody who's, who's backed out uh, or we're going to bring everybody up and wherever you slide to, we're going to drop them back so that you have guys that are blocking grass and we're going to be bringing guys up the other side, but it's dependent on what happens post snap by the, by the offense. And so you're seeing a little bit more of that with a lot of fire zones play behind that. Now, when he plays man coverage, it tends to be, uh, tends to be a seven man coverage. You're going to have safeties helping either over the top or in the middle. And you're going to see very much a four man rush in man coverage where he really, when he blitzes a lot, it's a lot of zones. Now it isn't always the same kind of zones. We would play a lot of uh, matching zone underneath where uh, like Fred Warner would be responsible for the number three. Um, 
you're not necessarily going to have that as much. You're going to have just you're going to be in the the middle hook zone, and the first player to threaten your zone is the one who you take, uh, whether that be the number three or the number two. It doesn't really matter. Um, so, you know, it, it's going to be a little bit different from the blitz packages. And I think he's talked about that in, in the press conference of bringing some more tools to the toolbox. Uh, and that's what he's talking about is bringing some different blitz uh, concepts there to be able to bring more, more pressure and be able to bring pressures that um, bring more guys unblocked is what he's really trying to do. Uh, not just create one-on-ones for Nick Bosa or create one-on-ones for Eric Armstead or create one-on-ones for Javon Hargrave. Uh, it's going to be blitzes that are meant to bring guys unblocked and put immediate pressure on the, on the quarterback by, you know, post snap reacting to what the offense is doing. That's the biggest thing I'm going to see a difference on. When, when you said Rohan, the really got to me just now, or when you said that Wilkes is going to be up in the booth, like I did not think about that, man. And like you always saw when you're watching the game on TV, you got to know the 49ers defensive coordinator when you're watching the game. And I mean, like, even if you're a fan of the other team watching, you would always be like, well, who's that guy? Well, that's our defensive coordinator because they were so fired up and the camera would always show them. And there'd be like four or five guys given the high fives. And I do wonder like who is going to be that hype guy, like on the sideline that the players are going to show love to when they do have a blitz that works out or they do get a turnover and things like that. And I did not think about that. And I wonder if most of the fans did, um, Chris Kasurik, man. It affects- I think Chris it's going to be more player accountability. Hype, we'll see. I think it's going to be more player accountability. They got to do yeah. it for themselves. Yeah, I think Warner can get I, those guys going for sure. I think but it's going to be the is, madman. Yeah, he he he. Kasurik, he it's sure. got to be. <laughs> All right, are we are we ready to talk quarterbacks? I mean, I, I feel like it's time. Um, we've been in thirty five minutes. Let's. Let's, Let's start it. with um, what was your take originally when you saw on Twitter or the notification came through on your phone, Sam Darnold? What was your original thought? Not that surprised. QB3 needed a QB3 because, well, initial, yeah, initially not that surprised because it didn't show the contract. So I just see Sam Donald <laughs> on a one-year deal. I see Sam Donald on a one-year deal. And so initially I'm like, yeah, I, I, I'm not surprised at all. The 49ers, it's been clear they needed a quarterback number three. I saw earlier in the day a lot of back quarterbacks were already off the board on somewhat bigger deals, you know, uh, two years, 11, two years, whatever it was, um, and things like that. So wasn't that surprised understanding the 49ers were likely going to carry three QBs again just because of the uncertainty around Brock Purdy at the time? And also, you need some guy to likely compete with Lance in uh, in camp. Then we see the contract. And the contract initially, obviously, you know how they'll tweet it out, up to $11.5 million. And I'm like, whoa, $11.5 million. Then you, 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 you dive back. You see the details. It's a $3.5 million deal. Incentives up to eleven and a half, and I think the cap hits around five and a half million dollars. Overall, the way that I looked at it is just an insurance policy, and my initial thought was a hedge on both Lance and Purdy. If Purdy isn't healthy to start week one, it's a hedge on him because you have the backup option. You're not scrambling in training camp or at the end of the season uh, by you know having to add somebody or going with somebody who you don't necessarily believe can start games. A guy um, you know on the back end of rosters potentially. But then it's also Nate a hedge Sudfeld. on Lance. <laughs> exactly. I don't want to go back but and it, get Nate Sudfeld. 
I mean, like, you know, it, it, you, you might be a system fit, but all that, but you, you wanted somebody that you thought could compete. And then a hedge on Lance, obviously, because Lance is the guy who is the biggest unknown of, uh, of the three commodities. Darnold has experience, hasn't necessarily looked good in experience, but he has it. Purdy, the best of the bunch in terms of what they've done with the 49ers. Lance is the unknown commodity. So, you know, even if, uh, let's say Purdy isn't healthy, you don't know what you have in Lance. You have a guy who you believe can likely win you a couple of games before you shift back to your original option. Or if Purdy is healthy, you have a guy who you can compete for the backup's job. So I thought it was a hedge in a way on both, but more so as an insurance policy rather than a real competitor for the backup job. Yeah, I, I, I think I, I felt the same way when I saw Sam Darnold. I was like, okay, Sam Darnold, you know, not surprising. He's not going to have a ton of suitors out there, has not really uh, been a guy drawing a lot of attention, um, you know, for stellar on-field play. Uh, but then that contract came out, and it was it was more than you would expect from a, a number three quarterback. Um, you know, most of the time, that number three quarterback, you're going to be looking at a guy at, at a vet minimum, you know, kind of range, and uh, maybe $2 million a year. And at $3.5 million a year, it, it did make me raise my eyebrows a little bit and go, hmm, that's, that's a little something. And the more I've thought about this situation, you know, I, I feel like, I feel like I, we're not 100% sure which direction the 49ers are going to go because I feel like there's two avenues that they they could take. One is that Brock Purdy is our guy going forward and we expect him to be quarterback quarterbacking for us within the first month of the season. And uh, and if that's the case, I think you see Sam Darnold starting week one if Brock Purdy is not available. If they're expecting Purdy to be there week three, week four, week even week five, I think you're probably going to see Sam Darnold. And the reason why is just because of the talk that we finally heard them admit late down the season last year of the struggle of trying to transition the offense from Trey Lance to Jim, Jimmy Garoppolo. And then the ease of transition we saw from Jimmy Garoppolo to Brock Purdy is because it affected the run game so much more of now you're not having all of your runs with this quarterback read and option baked in. And it's changing and it's not changing the timing and it's not changing the rhythm of play calling for Kyle Shanahan. It's going to be seamless. Quarterback style play is very similar. So it's just going to be from one to the other. And it just kept clicking and kept going and even ascended as the team gelled. Okay. I, I think if you're looking, if you're, if I'm Kyle Shanahan and I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to be handing the keys back over to Brock Purdy by week three or week four. For me, if I'm going to be transitioning as a play caller, it's easier to do that from Sam Darnold to Brock Purdy than it is from Trey Lance to Brock Purdy. So uh, to me, if if that if you're looking at Brock Purdy's our guy week three, week four, then it's Sam Darnold week one. Uh, if if Purdy isn't able to go, now that being said, if you start seeing if you see enough from Trey Lance this offseason and in training camp, where you say you know what, it's worth taking a long hard look at. at at Lance and it's worth the risk of that disruption in transition later on because Lance is showing us that he can be the guy that we expect him to be that we thought he could be that we drafted him to be then he's going to be the guy that's inserted I think he only gets inserted if they think he has the long-term ability to be the franchise quarterback they drafted him to be and overall that's the best that's the best result for the 49ers right um is to have Trey Lance be who we and, and they thought he would be. And so, you know, I think this is the most important offseason of his career. I think that's I think he's sensing that I would not be surprised if they've told him that 
uh, generally knowing how we, we hear about Kyle Shanahan's interactions with players. Mo uh, if, if that is the case and Trey Lance has been told that and we're everything we're seeing uh, a lot of things I'm seeing from players coming out of training camp or uh, sorry, excuse me, OTAs and mini camp is how much better Trey Lance looks now than he did at this time last year. Cause I think he, I think there's something in there that's understanding that if I'm going to have my shot with this team, it's now. I have to get it. This is my short window of opportunity. I have to prove that if if the, that they can they should they should believe in me enough to put me in their week one and have the 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 chance to take that spot and not give it up. I, that's that's the if you're putting Trey Lance in their week one, it's to allow him the opportunity to take that spot and not give it up. You're not putting him in there just to try and say, I'm going to win two or three games with you. You're putting him in there to say you are going to be the you have your opportunity to be the franchise quarterback of this team going forward. If they don't believe that or if they're not sold on that by week one. I think you're going to see Sam Darnold because it's, well, we're going to have that transition, that easier transition through game plans and game weeks in the middle of the season to a quarterback that's a more similar style. And so, you know, I, I think that's what um, that's what you're going to see. And, you know, it, it's 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 49ers quarterback. So people tend to just pick their guy and root for him no matter what. Um, you know, I'm I believe that if Brock Purdy can play like he did last year, Fantastic. That's that's everything you need to see. If Trey Lance has come in and he gets his opportunity, I sure hope that he he you know justifies the 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 draft slot and he becomes a, the quarterback that they think he can be because of how much it can bring to the offense more from the running game perspective. Everybody wants to talk about the deep ball, the deep ball, the deep ball. I I'm just you know I, we've. We, I just had an episode where I was breaking down the Shanahan play action scheme and talked so much about how it's really not that reliant on the deep ball, that the play action scheme is really about tying into the run game and how you do that as you live in that intermediate zone. And that's really where it stresses the defense and how it then creates a cohesive offense. I don't care about the big yards down the field. You know, it's like what stopped us last year was not our inability to throw the ball deep. It was stopped us last year was our inability to have somebody on the field who could throw the ball. So, you know, that, that's how I see it. And so it's like, if Trey Lance is there, then, and he can add a, a an element that stresses the, the defense against the run even more. Hey, gravy, you know, but you have to be able to run everything else. And I hope that, you know, if he's in there week one, he takes advantage of that opportunity and it's, it's trade time and we run. So Rohan, do you agree that, if one one big thing that Johnny said is that if that Sam Darnold would play because of the continuity factor, meaning that the way that they set up the offense is so easy between Purdy and Darnold that they don't want to change that up. And so that even if Trey was ready, because it it convolutes things and makes it all weird that they that they wouldn't do that. Do you agree with that, A? And if you do, then do you truly think that Sam Darnold will be the week one starter? And remember, guys, in the chat, I just posted again, we have our team shop, so be sure to check out our T-shirts. Be sure that you are liked and subscribed and hit the notification bell. So, Rohan, what do you think? I think I got to disagree with you, Johnny, because okay. we've got a couple of things to talk about. First of all, from what I've heard this offseason, 
the offense has a little has had a little more semblance between the quarterbacks. There hasn't been as much of the designed run package and things like that that really differentiated the offense when Trey Lance was out there last year. And I agree with your point though. When you talk about the uh, the the change from Trey Lance to Jimmy Garoppolo, Jimmy Garoppolo to Brock Purdy, much easier between the second and third quarterbacks. And the coaching staff admitted it. Kyle Shanahan no himself specifically said last year, yeah, we had to scrap about 50% of the playbook because you take out everything that we had operated for Lance when you're playing 11 on 11 football, essentially. Yeah. Now, does that mean that all of the packages uh, take, uh, for Lance are taken out? No. But I think right now they're trying to create some semblance in the offense, which is why I think that right now, I don't think that that would be the factor for why Darnold starts week one. And as for my week one starter, I still do believe that should Brock Purdy not be healthy, it would be Trey Lance. And the reasoning uh, behind that comes with, I think that he's got a stronger, um, like, I think he's got a stronger position inside the organization than what might be seen outside. We've heard players talk about him in a glowingly uh, glowing way. His work with quarterbacks coach Jeff, Jeff Christensen seems to have paid off a little bit. And I think that that's where you're starting to hear the reports come back. He's got 40 days now where he's going to go back to work with Christensen before training camp. I think the buildup is there for Lance. Now I posed, I, I posed something yesterday and the thing is we've heard about up and down performances with Lance and Darnold this offseason. I'm not saying that either quarterback has been perfect. It's been up and downs and some uninspiring play at certain times. And there is urgency with the 49ers, I think, to win a Super Bowl this year. Additionally, it might be John Lynch's last year with the 49ers. He's not going to be here for, for a long time. We knew that his goal is to win a Super Bowl. And with that in mind, with Purdy also eyeing a return before the season because it's in his best interest to be able to play week one because that's the way that he fully guarantees the job is his. I think the 49ers might try and get Brock Purdy healthy as soon as possible. And I'm not saying necessarily rush the timeline, but I think they're trying to do every effort possible to make sure Purdy returns week one to have a guaranteed option. However, should that not occur? Because we did hear you need uh, Purdy will need to be in practice for a little bit of time before he goes out and plays. Right now, my guess, my best guess would still be what I came into the offseason with, which is Trey Lance is the week one starter. I, I like the I like the, the the give and take. You know, I, I can't argue with the, the logic too much. Um I, I think you are seeing that Kyle Shanahan, I think what they're doing right now is basically assuming Brock Purdy is the week one starter and they're they're operating their offense going forward. Um and Trey's going to be expected to operate the offense as is. Uh, now, what do they do with that? If it starts looking like Trey Lance is going to be starting week one, two, three, or four, possibly, if that's the, the case, I'm not 100% certain. Um, I, I think they're, they are – Kyle Shanahan, if you've, you actually follow him, he does tend to have like PTSD from some of these different uh, things that go on that, that burn you really bad. And that that cause severe headaches as you're going forward, um, you know, and tends to be things that they they shore up. Uh, we're seeing that with running backs, and we're seeing that with these positions players. You know, that he had these dreams for it, and then uh, I remember several years ago, uh, it was 2018. He had uh, Jarek McKinnon, and it was his plan for this very much positionless uh, running back sort of thing. And then McKinnon tore his ACL 
days before the season opener. And Kyle Shanahan talked about that later, how, how hard that was for him to transition uh, just offensively because he had so much of the off season was built around this idea of how he was going to use Jarek McKinnon, a lot like what we saw Christian McCaffrey. And that was scrapped days before the season opener. Um, and then Jimmy Garoppolo tears his ACL uh, early on and, and that whole season goes down the drain. Um, but how now he's sort of, sort of tried, if you look at a lot of the different running backs they've, they've picked over the years, not as much as last year, but uh, over the years there were guys who could do multi-role things and you saw the way that Debo was being used was very much in how he envisioned that. And now he's insulating that with multiple players. Um, you know, I, I think he's going about the quarterback position the same way, that he's starting to insulate it and saying, look, we uh, We've obviously had a problem here uh, having quarterbacks stay healthy all year and then having to kind of make things up on the fly and switch on the fly. We're going to run this offense. Every single quarterback's got to run this offense the same way. Um, you know, and I'm not a, a big person as far as from what you hear on the reports of of how guys are performing, quarterbacks are performing at OTAs and mini camps and the statistics of, you know, they've they've gone, you know, this their completion is this much or on, on that much. I don't really get that much into it just because we don't know what the offense is trying to do. We, we can't see, like I, I'm a big film guy as everybody knows. So if I'm not able to look at the film and say, uh, you know, the receiver didn't run the wrong route for certain, you know, uh, then, then I can't say that, yes, this is a quarterback problem. Uh, there can be a lot of things in, in, you know, there's a lot of new moving pieces in there. There's a lot of new moving parts. Quarterbacks are trying different things. Uh, they're they're not going against the defense that they've studied on film beforehand. You know, you have some new players on defense there that uh, they're they're going to be going against. You have some new looks from Steve Wilkes that they're not necessarily prepared for. It's not like you know they've gone through a game week and been watching the opponent for sixty hours a week and have a whole game plan against that. They're going out and just practice. I mean, come on. So, um, you know, I, I think all those evaluations. I, I tend to always lean to trust the coaching staff on that people you know can disagree with the coaching staff and say well they're making this mistake they need to do this they need to do that and i said well if, if they make the decision to go with sam darnold i'm going to look at him and say probably they know who's going to run their offense better than we do uh considering they're the guys installing it um you know and it's not always the case sometimes you see teams make mistakes that and the backup does better um you know we're looking at you jets uh but um you know there's there's different times where most of the time uh I'm going to, especially with this offensive coaching staff, I think they've earned enough trust as far as production on the field um, from the offensive side of the ball, uh, especially down the stretch last season. I mean, come on, we're scoring what, like 32, 33 points a game the last bunch of games down the season. I mean, you can't ask for much more than that. That was, that's, that's leading the league in about every, every category. So, um, you know, where they go with it, I'm going to trust that. And uh, man, and I, I think, I think that this is a season that, if you look at a season where I'd feel okay, no matter who's starting. Yeah. If I, what I feel, if, if the coaching staff believes in Trey Lance enough to start him week one, I'm going to feel great. I'm gonna feel great about the 49ers in the quarterback situation. If they feel comfortable enough to where Brock Purdy's in their week one, and they feel comfort confident in his ability to be healthy. Great. I feel great about the 49ers quarterback posi uh, position. If it's a, we don't think Brock Purdy's going to be ready till week seven. And we're starting Sam Darnold week one. I'm a little concerned about the 49ers quarterback situation. Um, I think that's the only situation where I'm, I am truly worried. But if it's, you know, Brock's going to be here week three and Sam Darnold's going to hold it down for a couple weeks, I'm feeling okay about the 49ers quarterback situation. I think mo in most situations, I'm feeling pretty good about our quarterback situation.
<laughs> so Rohan, a couple more questions before we get you out of here with a few more questions. I want to know, can you let, <clears throat> let everyone know the best place that they can find you and what, what stories you're working on that, that kind of thing, where can people find you? hundred percent. So if you guys, um, got a good, uh, following and a good base on Twitter, search my name up, or you can go at, at Rohan, R-O-H-A-N, Chakrav, the first seven letters of my last name. You'll find my Twitter account. Uh, love to interact with y'all there. Post a couple of my takes there. YouTube-wise, you search up my name, you'll find my channel there. Um, do a lot of live streams with cool guests like Johnny Dell. So be sure to check that out. We go live a couple of times a week and uh, cover the 49ers. This next month's going to be interesting, but there's going to be content there regardless, so be sure to check it out. And then the place where I write a lot of the content uh, where that comes out, 49erswebzone.com. Be sure to check it out. I'm sure you'll see some of my articles when you go and check the site. So, guys, appreciate the support. And, I mean, first of all, appreciate all of you guys, uh, both of y'all, for having me on today and a fun show. Yeah, very cool. Guys, make sure that you like and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Hit the notification bell. Again, we – we definitely feel the same that we love to interact and so we we always want you to not only subscribe but to hit the notification bell so that you know when guys like us are going live there are plenty of great content creators we are buddies with them all we, there's no one over the other view them all subscribe to them all but hit the notification bell and, and hit the algorithms, help grow these channels because uh, guys like these two work really hard at their craft. I just always get a front row seat into navigating and into listening, and I'm just a big fan as well. So make sure that you are following, liking, subscribing, doing all the things in order to grow the channel. So a couple questions. I want to know personally – who was one of your favorite players from the first team that you remember growing up as a 49er fan? And who is your, I, I live in Indiana, which means the White Sox are on TV a lot. And there was Hawk Harrelson who always had his pick to click. And he would say who he thought was going to do well in this game. So I want your pick to click for the season. Who is the guy that you think can be more of an X factor. And the reason I say that is I look at uh, Debo's interview where he just simply said, boy, on film, I cannot show that crap job of a film. I, I like that he said that, that he's owning it. And like, if it was me, boy, watch out for Debo because he's not resting on what last season was. So just for an example. So give can I us jump in on that for a sec? Yeah, go for it. So I yeah, I just want I just want to give some big props to Greg Pinelli because he he did a show with Eric Crocker. Uh, it was shortly after the Chiefs game. And you know, he if people don't know who Greg Pinelli is, he was uh he's been Josh Allen's quarterback coach. Okay, and he was doing a show and he and it was gonna be about quarterbacks, and you know, people were dunking on Jimmy Garoppolo, and he just said, I just want to show something here and bring up a point that Debo Samuel is not doing well. He goes, Debo Samuel is run is is has has some really poor effort. And some of the stuff that he's putting on film is not up to what we we would expect. And, and on that show, I remember I was very intrigued. I, I tuned in. He said he he sent some of the clips to some 
guys in the NFL, some receivers in the NFL across the NFL. Uh, he, he said, you know, obviously they didn't want their names dropped for what they were going to say, uh, but just said, what is, wh- why do you think that we're seeing what we are on film with Debo? And they just tweeted back or text back and said $80 million. And, you know, and he was just talking about the lack of effort, especially on plays where Debo didn't think he was going to get the ball, where he's running a clearing route or something that he just he wasn't even running full speed. And people got real mad at Greg in that show. I remember watching it and, it, and the comments were just full of people flaming Greg for how dare he say something about 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 Debo and that it was all Jim, all you know Jimmy Garoppolo's fault. To hear Debo say that in in this was a very much a validation of what Greg said very early on in the season last year, and and I had mentioned on a, on a show I said I just I didn't think that that Debo was showing what he did the year you know in in years past, and I I experienced the same thing. People were flaming it, and to hear that from Debo, I'm like, thank you, thank you, Debo, for saying that and recognizing that 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 was something because you saw it. It just was not the same level of effort, and uh, and so I do say, look out, you know, for Debo. If if we see Debo be who he can be, I mean, and Ayuk ascending, there's some really exciting things. And and again, people will disagree on this. I don't care if it's Purdy or Lance or even Darnold. I think if those guys are playing at what they can be, people say, well, you know, they can only be as so good as their quarterback. No, they still have to win their matchups. They still have to put the things on film, no matter who their quarterback is. Okay. You still have to be able to do that. If you don't, then teams aren't even going to respect you as a receiver. But I think there can be some really big things. If, if this is what Debo's, you know, lighten it up to really be who we, we hope he can be year after year. Yeah. I mean, I agree there. And, it's interesting that you bring up the Debo Samuel part because I remember the amount of times in my player grades that I'd write up after doing film reviews on every Tuesday last year. Debo Samuel's effort, especially, I like how you pointed out, especially on plays where he's not getting the ball, if it's a running play, even if it's a receiver play, it was a clear difference from his 2022 season. And this is not to take away from Debo Samuel, the player, when he has the ball in his hands because we all know the amount of care that he uh, that he has when he's got the ball in his hands and the amount of just who he is as a player when he's got the ball in his hands. But he pointed it out, and he said he doesn't want to put that on film anymore. And you're right. I mean, he talked about the distraction. Last offseason, he, he comes into camp out of shape. He doesn't play the first week of camp because of the contract negotiations and is eased in that second week because he's out of shape. And so, you know, there are a lot of different factors coming into the season and obviously leads to a sluggish start and a sluggish, uh, just a sluggish season overall with only 600 yards. I think it was 632 yards receiving um, from Debo Samuel last year, well below the 1,405 yards that he had in 2020, uh, 2021 when he really broke out. And so you see the motivation. Another factor, it's not a contract year for Debo Samuel, but it's a crucial one in that the 49ers could elect to move him, move on from him in a trade via post June 1st, uh, via post June 1st trade this offseason, understanding they've got some cap uh, situation uh, things that they're that are coming up. Additionally, you've got to pay Brandon Ayuk. And right now, if I'm being honest, I'd pay Brandon Ayuk over Debo Samuel, especially with the way that it's going, uh, that it's trending right now. So it's really cool to see him motivated. And right now, yeah, I'm expecting uh, bigger things now from Debo Samuel than initially, just knowing his mindset. He came into shape. He's at minicamp. He's doing all these different things. And I hope it translates to what is put on the field. That's a good name. The second name that I'll give out, Drake Jackson, for the reason that, The 49ers have three dominant defensive line players, but we saw last year 
that even with the dominance on the defensive line, it was it was a little bit of uh, it's not that it was subpar, but it was below the expectations of the years past when they had really dominant defensive linemen. One ask of mine going into this offseason, I think the 49ers should prioritize three down defensive linemen. And they got one who can play three downs. I don't know how much he will in Javon Hargrave, but a guy who can uh, rush the passer very well. And even if you don't have him in on rushdowns, you've got a plethora of depth at defensive tackle. What you don't, though, have is plethora of depth at the defensive end. And that puts an onus on Drake Jackson to come out and compete. And I think that he's going to receive a good amount of one-on-one opportunities. I think the blitzes as well from Steve Wilkes will help him um, in, in the way that he's aligned and in the way that he's utilized. But this is also a crucial offseason for him because the 49ers can go out in free agency, not be uh, struck by the compensatory formula, and sign one of the edges that are still out there with the money that they currently have with around $10 million in cap space. Wouldn't be surprised if they do that, although there's a strong belief in Jackson this year. Let's see if it can hold up over a 17-game season. Yeah, uh, you he know, came into camp way, way, way leaner, like more cut. Kyle Shanahan mentioned it, right? I mean, so I'm excited for him for sure. And he, and he added a good bit of muscle. I mean, that was one thing that yeah. uh, they had talked about near the end of the season was just that he got wore down uh, and was lacking in strength to stand up and, and especially over time. And I, I love that, that the Drake Jackson, you know, if he works out to be, then, then that's what they were absolutely hoping for. Second round pick red shirt year to be that explosive guy. Um, you know, the four ers love to red shirt guys. They love to, to draft guys, not for the need this year for the need next year. Uh, we see that with the Jair Brown pick, right? They, they're, they're picking him to be the starter when Gibson moves on when Tayshawn Gibson is not there. Um, but he's ascending. So that's a, that's a plus that, that was Hafunga, right? That Hafunga was there for when Jaquaski Tart was going to be moving on. Um, that was a total win by the organization. Uh, I, I think when you look at, uh, I'm blanking on, on the kid's name uh, from BYU, the linebacker uh, that we picked. Um, I'm this totally year. blanking on his name. This year. Um, D. Winters or Jalen Graham? Or, or D. Winters, yeah, D. Winters. I, I, say, I, I would not be surprised if he's the future replacement for Dre Greenlaw. I just don't think we're going to have the money to, to – uh, replace Dre Greenlaw or to re-sign Dre Greenlaw. And you look at their body types, they're almost identical. I mean, they're they're almost twins. Uh, they're nearly the same height, nearly the same weight. They're, their 40 times are nearly the same. Um, you know, they're very similar players. The, the 49ers like to redshirt guys, and that was Drake Jackson. You know, I think he was he was signed to be, uh, and yes, sorry, Kali, it was TCU. I don't know why I was thinking BYU. Um, it was just, it's been a long day, y'all. Uh, but no, um, but Drake Jackson was signed to be that guy to replace Samson Ebicom. They knew that Samson Ebicom was going to walk. They knew that he was not coming back, and so Drake Jackson was signed to be that replacement. And for him to take the onus of that role in this offseason and see the work that he's putting in is an abs- is absolutely what you want to see. It's not like what we saw with Akella Witherspoon where he was coming in and he didn't take advantage of that one year, or that we saw with Dante Pettis where he did not take advantage of that. And then they ended up having to go out and trade for Emmanuel Sanders. Um, that you're seeing Drake Jackson is taking that on and saying, no, I'm, you know, that's a good sign. Now, does that come to fruition on the field? 
I don't know yet, but that would be absolutely the best case scenario for the 49ers. That's what they were planning for. Um, we're going to see if Colton McKivitz is that at right tackle, right? He was drafted to be Mike McGlinchey's replacement a year down the road. Uh, that's what Banks was drafted for. He was drafted to be uh, Tomlinson's replacement down the road. They love to redshirt these guys, and Drake Jackson's going to be that guy. And so, um, and so, yeah, it's it's very much uh, if he's if he's that player and looking like he's going to be that, that is an absolute win for the four Niners. And you're going to see that open up so much more of the opportunities for Bosa and Armstead and Hargrave. Um, you know, that that's just a really good situation for the 49ers. So let me ask you then, let me hold you to it here. Who is, uh, it sounded like Hargrave was maybe your pick to click. Uh, you talking to me or to Johnny? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, Hargrave was Hargrave was one of my guys um, coming to this offseason. I thought he was the best defensive tackle, even over Deron Payne coming into this offseason. And so, yeah, he was one of my guys, um, and they got the contract done. So, yeah. Okay, and then tell us your first memory of a 49er team and who was your guy on that team. So, I mean, like I said, I'm a late bloomer. I started watching yeah, right. 49ers football, I believe, in 2010. And so my first memory is of uh, Mr. Longevity, Frank Gore. He was the guy – because those teams, it was like the rebuilding, getting back to that really prime stage when it was the prime of Alex Smith's career and then obviously Colin Kaepernick. But the guy in the middle of it was Frank Gore. And also yeah. when I started watching football, funny enough, I didn't know much about the Alex Smith and Aaron Rodgers debacle. So when I'm looking at my quarterback, I have Alex Smith's memories in a much brighter light than most 49ers fans because he was the guy who, when I started watching, he was the quarterback. He wasn't anything too special, but he was a solid quarterback. Then obviously, <laughs> just a little into my career, uh, into my football watching, because I was also a huge fan of Aaron Rodgers growing up, I find out that we passed on Aaron Rodgers to get Alex Smith. And that was a, a nice trip down memory lane. <laughs> that's a wonderful way to put it at that uh, age it's an interesting way to think of alex smith though it really is as you said you're a little bit younger like johnny and i do not carry that same sentiment just because we did know how it was set up but if we were young at that time and didn't understand it would have a whole different psychological view of those guys you're absolutely right that's very interesting i haven't i've never thought about what your what somebody's perspective would be on alex smith if you didn't know anything about him before 2010 but like that sense. that blows but but that totally does and and it's so interesting to think about because you know I, I, i'm old i'm i'm i was born in 1984 and so you know for me uh, I'm, I'm Alex Smith's age. So I remember when we drafted him very, very well. Um, and knowing the first five years of all of the struggles that were there and the, we want car chance and, and, uh, and the different coordinators and the, yeah. The and and the, every year and the debacle with Mike Nolan and him having to trying to go back in when he had a separated shoulder and playing these games and look so horrible in his, his, you know, his shoulder was so messed up and he's throwing the ball that he actually caused him to strain a, a tendon in his forearm and um, or muscle in his forearm and all the issues of that. And then having surgery the next year uh, when when uh, Mike Martz was with the team and JT O'Sullivan, who's now got a great YouTube channel, but was a 
really struggling quarterback with the 49ers. Um, you know, he was playing. Most people forget that JT O'Sullivan got benched with us because he had 22 turnovers in seven games. Uh, he was averaging over three turnovers a game. Um, you know, so that's it. That's a fascinating perspective. I love it. I absolutely love it. And, and it's Frank Gore. I mean, that was that was uh, the second jersey I ever bought was actually Frank Gore. Actually, I didn't buy it. I should say I, I, say I bought it, but it was actually uh, some friends of mine in college who were Seahawks fans bought that for me for my birthday because they knew I was such a big 49ers fan was the Frank Gore and the old, old Cardinal red jerseys before they brought back the cherry red. Um, yeah. with, you know, many, many people remember the the. The, the the cardinal red for me uh it, i would have to say that the first team i really really remember was the 94 super bowl team and a guy for me it's going to be surprising for some people because of the legends that were on that 94 team for me it was ricky waters it was it was actually Ricky Waters for me. Uh, something about him as the running back there and what they were able to do with him. And on that season, uh, I was a big Ricky Waters fan. And so I was always ever ever since he left the team, I was always hoping they were going to get a guy to replace him. And that's why I was in the early 2000s. A guy that some people may remember from one season was Charlie Garner. And he reminded me so much of Ricky Waters. And so I, I really uh, appreciated Charlie Garner in there, um, which most people don't know that before. Before Frank Gore set the set the single game rushing record with the Four Niners, the previous owner was Charlie Garner. He had 202 yards in a game against the the St. Louis Rams. I almost said L.A. Rams, but it was the St. Louis Rams. L.A. Um, sucks. LA sucks. Uh, but yeah, my guy was my guy was Ricky Waters, a, a little un, little le lesser appreciated guy among some people. So, I, but I got one person who's who's all about the Ricky Waters. So we're going to throw it up there. Yeah. My, my wife, my wife, it was Frank Gore, but really for her, it was Patrick Willis or Vernon Davis. She, she got a Vernon Davis uh, Jersey. Um, so, yeah. Very cool. I, I have to go with, with Steve Young as I am left-handed and just was enamored with, with him after, uh, after Joe Montana. So yeah, we really want to thank, uh, thank you, man, for coming on the show. Thanks to everyone in the chat who kept the algorithm going, um, asking great questions, following along with us. And remember to like, subscribe, do all of the things, guys, because it helps us grow the channel. We want to continue to bring great guests on the show, um, like like the very famous Rohan Chakravarti. Thank you for being on the show. Be sure to like and subscribe on his channels as well, guys. Show him the same love that you show us. We always feel the love, guys, but make sure that you spread it to everyone, whether it's Wayne, whether it's Rohan, whoever it is, all of Niners, you know, Niner country basically is where we all live. I live in Indiana, you know, Johnny's in Alabama. So that's why I say Niner country. It's we're all over. So Roll make tide. sure. <laughs> no, not so much. <laughs> so. <laughs> So make sure you continue to support. Remember, we do have the firstwilkerson.com slash Johnny Dell's football academy shop where you can get the, our first opponents in the preseason. LA sucks. Denver sucks. Las Vegas sucks. Thank you for joining us. Take care of each other. And as always, go Niners.
Jason, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.